Welcome to Days of Roar, our Detroit Tiger podcast brought to you by the Detroit Free Press. My name is Mark Gorosh. I'm here with Tigers beat writer Evan Petzold, who flew five hours and 17 minutes back from Oakland in the middle of the night. He is now sitting <laughs> in his apartment, uh, probably half delirious, but uh, we're coming up on the last week of the season, Ebb. And we've got a lot of things to talk about. We got some great pitching performances. We got Miguel Cabrera. And damn, if it isn't Yom Kippur, and we have a new general manager. So let's uh let's kick it off. He had a three and four week, which is pretty par for the course. We're 13 and 9 in September. How uh how was uh 11 hours of uh, flying on an airplane the last few days. Yeah, too much time spent on an airplane. I'll tell you that. It was interesting, though. You mentioned, you know, the Tigers hiring a new general manager. That's Jeff Greenberg, who they picked up. He was the associate GM with the NHL Chicago Blackhawks. Um, But that's really not, he's not a hockey guy. Like, if anyone's going to look at him and say, oh, this guy, you know, the Tigers just picked up some hockey guy. What are they doing? This is a guy who was with the Chicago Cubs for 11 seasons. Um, That's where he built his resume. And that's where he really grew as an executive in, in front offices. He did a lot of things with the Blackhawks in analytics, really revamped you know their entire department. And, and they've seen a lot of strides there because of him um, in particular. But it's interesting you mentioned the GM and the planes and all those things because those two things, they do kind of align for me. I was on the plane and I had my computer up. I had the Wi-Fi hooked up, so I was all ready to go. Um, I knew something was going to happen at some point, but the question was going to be, okay, when exactly is this going to go down? And, and at that point, it kind of just becomes wait and see in the sense of, you know, who's going to say something or, you know, I guess kind of when are the Tigers going to announce something and there we go. All of a sudden, boom, it, it hits Twitter and, and it was there. And I was in the middle of my flight and um, I'm very, very thankful for the Detroit Free Press editors who were very helpful with me in that process because I'm writing on a plane and it's also while the plane is landing into Oakland. That's kind of when I'm finishing up my story. I'm putting some of the finishing touches on it. I'm adding some of those quotes from the press release. And there were a few typos throughout just because I was, again, the plane shaking, it's hitting the ground. My fingers are going as quick as they can to try to get this story posted. And so shout out to the Free Press Sports Editors. Um, you know, Mar- Marlo Alter is is great and Kirkland Crawford, you know, as always. But yeah, that kind of just jumped up as I was on a plane coming down to Oakland and suddenly the Tigers have a general manager and Scott Harris's biggest hire, um, you know, since he took over as president of baseball operations a little bit over 12 months ago. I'm excited to see what Jeff Greenberg is going to do. I, I think that, you know, pairing those two back together, I could see it going great. I could see it going terribly, but we'll see how it goes. I think they're two brilliant minds and, you know, you put enough brilliant minds into a room and you get the right people there. Great things can happen. We know that that's true. That's question one of the big two, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's question one of the big two for sure. I, I think, first of all, shout out to JP Morosi, who out of nowhere <laughs> starts talking about the Tigers name and the general manager who's had about zero scoops correct in <laughs> the last decade. And sure enough, Three days later, the Detroit Tigers have a general manager. So I'm really not I, surprised, though, that 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 Scott Harris took this route. I mean, I, I had written about it, you know, several times going back because I mean, this is exactly what Jed Hoyer did when he took over, you know, with the Chicago Cubs, and I'm sure others have done it as well. That that Scott has been around, but it's like take that year, wait and see, let's evaluate, see where we need to upgrade and see what kind of talent we need to bring in here from a front office standpoint to really keep this thing moving in the right direction. And that's exactly what he did. He, he took his time. He took his year, just like Jed Hoyer took his year in Chicago and, and then obviously found his game. Well, let's talk a little bit about Jeff Greenberg because I read quite a few, I read everybody's pieces about this and I thought yours was by far the most insightful about Jeff Greenberg. I mean, I think fairly we can say, look, the two of these guys came up together working in the Cubs front office. Heck, they probably went and got coffee together for the rest of the front office when they were starting because they literally started together in 2011. So, you know, they were at the bottom of the food chain and they both worked their way up. I mean, Greenberg, I think, actually preceded Harris by a year if I got the timeline correct. And if I don't, yeah, it was a long time ago. 
I, I think they, I think they both went in in 2012, but looking at some different things, I'm not entirely. We're gonna have to check on that on, on Tuesday when they have the, yeah. the news conference. What we do know is they are both very, very data oriented. A, I mean, we know that Scott is, but I think that uh, what we need to say about Greenberg is Greenberg is so talented about building data analytics systems and analysis that the Chicago Blackhawks hired him to build an entire analytics system for them because he was so talented at it. And I'm sure the Tigers actually have a decent system, and uh, I, but I am sure that he will bring tons of improvements and nuance to what they already have. That's a good thing. Where they really need help and another set of eyes and a voice is uh, in pro scouting and in you know personnel and talent evaluation. Now he had some jobs in those areas in Chicago. I'm totally unfamiliar with his talent level in those areas. I would assume that they're decent, but they could have been administrative also. And I will assume that uh, Evan Petzold, who is an outstanding researcher and knows how to ask probing questions once he creates relationships, will find out a little bit more about Jeff Greenberg's talent level in those areas. So for now, I'm going to assume as well that like, you know, the specialty there is the analytics like that. That is the specialty building databases and being able to, you know, then allow teams to draw off of that to, to make decisions. And I think that's really valuable because Scott Harris has his own process. You know, when Scott Harris comes to the Tigers, he evaluates the Tigers process. And Scott Harris has his own process of how he wants to do things. Who knows Scott Harris's process better than, than Jeff Greenberg? Probably nobody. Um, whether that's a combination of something that the Cubs did along with something that, you know, maybe the Giants did, which maybe also aligns with maybe some of Scott's personal visions that he has, you know, by himself. Those are conversations that I'm sure that, you know, Scott Harris and Jeff Greenberg have had over the years going all the way back to their early days with the Chicago Cubs. So if you want somebody to be able to implement your specific process and, and, and then to really thrive off of that, you're going to need somebody that is going to understand your process thoroughly. And I think that's where the connection is, is going to be great. You're right, though. The question is, uh, how much is there outside of that? And for, you know, Jeff Greenberg, he has some front office experience as a pro scouting director, baseball operations director. He was the assistant GM um, there in Chicago. So he, he does have, you know, experience in other areas. But guys that I've reached out to so far, they said, look, this guy is known for his intelligence, his interpersonal skills, and his ability to build trust. I haven't heard a ton about him as, you know, this guy who can go out and find you talent um, outside the box type thinking. I think it kind of comes down to using his intelligence to help find talent. So if that's exactly what the Tigers need, then that's going to be great. Um, if that's not what they need, then, then maybe it's great, but there still are some, some, still some room for improvement. Well, well, let's revisit what you just said, because you just brought up three topics that without really knowing Scott Harris, but my intuition as an old person that has done business for a long time, those are three areas that needed improvement. So those may fill in some blanks and maybe when you merge the talents of Scott Harris and Jeff Greenberg together, you get uh, an improved level of coverage on all aspects of uh, running the front office of a major league baseball team. The other question I have that I, I, I'm curious about is, is based upon what we're discussing, where, you know, is that impact Jay Sartori seems like, you know, Jay was responsible for a lot of building he was. what they refer to as Caesar and is, is that synergy or is that overlap or, you know, I'm just kind of curious, not that it's a big deal, but Jay's been here for a long time and now, uh, you bring in somebody essentially over, not only just over him, but also has an expertise. Is that a, a merging of skills or is that addressing, um, you know, a desire to go in a different direction about them? That'll be something we have to see. And I don't think fans really care about that stuff. They don't really involve themselves too much with Jay Sartori. But, you know, I think you and I, it'll be interesting for us to see but how the that mark, impacts you know what the, fans the front do want, office. Though? The fans want wins. They want wins. 
That's what the fans want, is, is they want wins, and these are decisions that are ultimately going to lead to either wins or losses. I, I think there's a lot of overlap in skills between Harris and Greenberg. What I w- am excited to see the possibility of is does Jeff Greenberg make Scott Harris better? And does he give him, you know, I like to refer to, I, I you know, look, lo- people love to try to explain to me this first year is a year of evaluation. I am not a big fan of that idea. Um, I, I think what we've seen is a lot of uh, discussion on what somebody hoped to build as a style in the front office and what. I've seen is pretty much an abject lack of willingness to be bold or I don't want to use courage. That's not fair yet, but it's something I will come back to next March if I see the same style being employed in the next six months that I've seen in the first year. So I'm hoping that the collaboration between these two guys allows them to be a little bit more aggressive in what they are building here as a baseball team. Well, how about the other guy in this trio, AJ Hinch and what he's built? Well, let's, uh, let's address that question two of the big two, uh, straight from the pen of Evan Petzold. What is the culture of the 2023 Tigers and the tone of AJ Hinch's elimination speech and, how A.J. Hinch impacts this entire thing, which I think is a huge question. And I think in the uh, in the famous words of uh, Reggie Jackson, he is the straw that stirs the drink. There's just, there's no player for sure. But A.J. Hinch sets the tone, creates the culture, implements the culture, and, you know, is the face of the Detroit Tigers until somebody takes that, responsibility away from him on the playing side. Your thoughts? Yeah, a few things on this. I I really do like what A.J. Hinch has built over the last three years. And there were times, you know, throughout these three seasons where his mantra of win today's game, part of me sometimes thought it was bullshit. Other times I've, I've been all about it. And as I reflect back on it from where we're at right now, I believe in it. And I think that the players have bought into it. And I also think that Scott Harris deserves a little bit of a hat tip here too, because you know he puts the players in the room for AJ Hinch to, to to work with. And in some ways, you can say, "Hey, look, the players aren't talented enough. You know, this manager can only do so much with what he has." In the other sense, you want to look at culture. I do think that he has the right group of guys in the room in terms of the team chemistry and and kind of doing things together. I mean, I, I sat down with Tarek Skubal in the dugout, and we were just kind of talking in um, in Oakland on Sunday uh, early in the morning, and. He said, he said, look, it's, it's effing Sunday in Oakland and guys are out there doing early work. Guys are getting their work on the mound. Other guys, you know, pitchers are watching the guys in the mound get their work in. They're with them in those moments. And he's, he goes, look at the clubhouse. Look at what the clubhouse has been like the last two days. And it's, you know, guys that are watching college football together, eating their, eating their breakfast and watching the games. And they all have different colleges they root for, but they're all sitting there watching college football together, right? Same thing for NFL. They all got their fantasy teams all pulled up and they're, bantering back and forth about, you know, who's playing who this week and, and you know, who's who's going to beat who, who has no points in the first quarter, you know, whose guys are going off in the first quarter. Like, those were all really cool conversations to be able to see. And and then to see, like, Miguel Cabrera and Javi Baez, like, walk up to that table, sit down, and, like, they want to eat their breakfast there too because there's something going on there. It's it's like a fun table to be at. And, and that's, you know, sure, there's one round table, but there's also then chairs that are extended off that round table. And there are guys that are sitting in the background just wanting to be a part of it. And so I do think that like the right group of guys are in the room for the team chemistry and for the college that the Tigers want to have, which is ultimately instilled by AJ Hinch. And it was interesting. The Tigers were eliminated from the postseason on the same day that AJ Hinch managed his 1500th game. Hat tip to AJ Hinch. It's a big number. Um, and it, it takes you a while to get there. You need, as he said, you need a lot of opportunities to get there. You need a lot of people in your corner, whether it's players, front office, player development, scouting, um, to, to kind of get you there. Um, so, you know, he definitely did a good job. I thought of, of handling, you know, the, the big milestone professionally and the way that he addressed it, but he definitely was happy to be able to, to get to that mark. And he was able to reflect on that, but the Tigers are eliminated on that same, same day. He gives his elimination speech the next day. 
in a closed door team meeting. And the conversation is essentially, hey, look, like we were eliminated with eight games left in the season. Can you imagine like eight games that, that if we would have done something differently, it would have gone our way? We could have been in the mix right now. We could have been in the hunt, you know, coming into the final, you know, six games of the season, you know, eight games of the season, whatever it was. And like, I, I thought that resonated very well with a lot of the players. They, they took that to heart and they said, yeah, like we are, we are pretty close. And, you know, then I asked AJ, I said, so, you know, you've given the same speech three years in a row because he's been with the Tigers for three years and, and they haven't made the playoffs um, in quite some time. He goes, no, it's not the same speech. We're in a completely different place now than where we were. He said he thinks they're a lot closer to fulfilling what the fans deserve. And I, I believe that. I think the culture and, you know, the identity of this team is everything that he's preached. Win today's game, play hard, you know, play the whole nine innings. Like, I know that's coach speak and I know it's kind of frustrating to hear, but you say it enough times and guys start to buy in, they start to believe it. And, and whether it's, you know, stealing the extra bases or taking advantage of mistakes, they did that very well, I thought, you know, especially in that first game against Oakland. And, and this is a team that's been eliminated from the playoffs and they're still doing those things. I think that says a lot of what, what the Tigers have built. Winning is the ultimate culture. Every, every team wants to win. And when you win, things are great. And they always are. But I like what the Tigers have brewing. I think it's, you know, AJ, AJ's master skill is creating culture, it's creating environment. Anybody that's had a job of any consequence that uh, they had for at least a little while understands the difference between a good boss and a bad boss. They understand the difference between a boss that demands a certain quality of work performance and a certain quality of professionalism in how you execute your job. I don't care if you're making donuts at four o'clock in the morning or you're selling software to the most sophisticated company in the world. You know, a great boss makes you better. Um, a great boss sets expectations. A great boss helps you get there. And uh, you just can't beat people over the head. You have to show them and help them based both upon their environment and their own interpersonal and personal skills of how to execute the job. And you have a lot of kids that are learning how to execute the job here. You have a few veterans sprinkled in that can show them the way and keep them calm when things are going wrong. But the one thing that you brought up that is very evident about the 2023 Detroit Tigers. They show up and play hard every day. That's the first part of being a good baseball team. You got to show not always, up. It's and, not always pretty. It's not always pretty. Oh, the execution needs massive upgrades. And so for sure the talent does. But the environment, the culture, the expectations, the people that will be here and be prominent in 2023, the Riley Greens, the Tarek Scoobles, the Jason Foley's, the Parker Meadows, uh, the Kerry Bonds Carpenters, the Jake Rogers, the Spencer Torkelsons, they're all a huge part of the environment. That culture is not going away. And they're going to add, we can pray that they are adding, you know, they're going to add a, a second baseman, a third baseman, uh, you know, m more leverage relievers. They're going to add players and feed them into the mix. So the old teach the young. Um, hopefully a guy like Colt Keith, who's got tons and tons of talent and tons and tons of swag, figures out quickly where his place is and he can bring his skill level quickly, hopefully in April, to a lineup that needs what he does badly. But you know, I, I think what AJ is really, really good at is, you know, being the ship's captain. He he makes sure that uh, the boat's floating down the river, and sometimes it may get close to the uh, to the shore a few times or bump into it, but he keeps steering it back down the river. So, and I I still think he is the single most important person in the Detroit Tigers organization. I will love it when two or three players surpass him in importance, but uh, he's a huge part of what they're doing here, and he's set the expectations. Now he just needs a front office to keep 
giving him talent and to be bold enough to give him that talent. You can't wait forever to promote players or trade for players, and you can't be afraid to make asset trades or make trade make trades. You're you you just can't. And if you do, I think you're going to see him, especially next year. I got a feeling there's only two years left on his contract. He will start being very, very frustrated. You know, I've asked you and some of the other beat writers over the course of the last couple of years, AJ was getting frustrated enough to consider quitting. And, you know, there have been various answers, but I think what I've heard a lot of this year is absolutely not. And he's kind of excited about the future. What, what's your take on that? It's funny. I had somebody ask me that this week while I was in Oakland and it was a text message that I got and it was just, Hey, you know, what, what do you think about, about AJ Hinch? You think he's going to stick around? You think he's going to be here? And it was from somebody that, um, honestly is kind of like an important person in, in baseball in some ways. And I said, no, I think he's going to stay. Like, I think this is a guy that wants to see this thing through. I think he wants to show that, um, he can build a culture. Um, again, when, when you go to Houston, I, I think going back to his previous stop, there were a lot of talented players there. And there were a lot of great systems in place. And when he came to Detroit, there were not a lot of great systems in place. And there also were not a lot of talented players. And he had to figure out in Detroit, okay, how am I going to make something out of nothing? And it's been like that now for pretty much three seasons. I I do want to say like the emergence of, you know, Spencer Torkelson, Riley Green, Kerry Carpenter, Jake Rogers, Parker Meadows, Tarek Skubal, Reese Olsen, Casey Mize, Matt Manning, Jason Foley, Will Vest, Tyler Holton. Justin Henry Malloy coming up, Colt Keith coming up soon. Like th- those guys, you know, that, that's some talent that he has to work with. And those players have now, you know, developed and they've, you know, risen through the system. But when he got here, there wasn't a lot of that. And so I, I think that this was a situation where he came in and he knew it was going to take some time. Has it taken a little bit more time maybe than he would have anticipated? Maybe, who knows? Um, but I do think that he wanted to see this thing through, you know, from the very beginning and he still feels that way. He, he had told the team during the meeting, I had never been more encouraged to be a Tiger. So I think he's ready to see what Scott Harris really has. And Scott Harris is going to have to bring it for him. I I truly believe that. Um, Now we'll see what happens down the road. Nobody really knows. But this is going to be an important offseason for the Tigers to not only satisfy the fans, but also satisfy A.J. Hinch. Because, I mean, again, every manager would love to have one through nine, write it in the lineup every day, lock it in, and and it's the same crew. Um, Every manager wants that. AJ Hinch is a master at Mexican matching. I think he's great at the chess match. Um, whether it works out all the time or it doesn't, I mean, that that's not always up to him, right? Like that's up to the players and the player's execution. Um, so again, in a perfect world, is he writing one through nine every day? Yes. And is that where he wants the Tigers to be? Of course. And is that where Scott Harris wants the Tigers to be? Probably. Um, so look, I, I think, yeah, he wants to see it through, but at the same time, he needs some support because it does take a village. It is not just one man that can do this thing by himself. He needs talent, and he needs it fast. If I'm not incorrect, you have uh, you have some stuff going on in Lakeland this next two weeks. I, I, I think they do org meetings next week as soon as the season's over, and uh, that should be some pretty spirited conversations down there if AJ goes down there with, uh, with Greenberg and Harris and the rest of the front office and they're down in Lakeland postseason. That should should be some interesting discussions. Well, I don't want to make I, it say, Mark, I don't want to make it seem like the, they're, they're buttonheads or anything like that. No, because I have not gotten not. an indication they're of co- that. But like, they got to figure this thing out together. It's, they they got to figure it out together. And it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how it gets pieced together. And uh, again, like the, the fans are dying for it. They're, they're ready for it. And I think AJ Hinch is ready for it too. Yeah, we're going to talk a lot a lot more about this in coming weeks once the season's over. We have uh we have 5 months to discuss the you know, makeup of the 2024 Tigers and how they're going to get there. So, we'll we'll kind of this is a work in progress discussion. Um we got a lot more things to talk about. First we're going to take a break. We'll be back in a minute. Lots of other interesting things happened in the last week. One of them being that uh, a Petzold and Gorosh personal favorite, one O'Reilly Green, got uh, another operation. 
He had a nice, fast TJ on his right elbow. Ne- never a good thing <laughs> when you get a TJ. But since it's his right elbow, pretty encouraging report. Uh, looks like he should be able to start the season at worst as a DH. And if we use Bryce Harper as a good kind of case study, uh, decent chance that Riley can probably play the outfield, you know, maybe middle of May, something along those lines. Wouldn't be shocked. I think more, you know, it's his non-throwing elbow. So to be careful with them, they have outfielders. They'll probably add an outfielder, you know, and, you know, so he'll do a lot of DHing maybe the first six weeks of the season. Then we'll see what happens after that. What, what did you learn about that stuff? Yeah, so Riley Green ended up going through, you know, three different medical examinations. The Tigers gave him kind of the first opinion. And then it was Dr. Keith Meister in Dallas and then Dr. Neil Elitrash in Los Angeles. Once Elitrash said, yep, this is what's going on. You need Tommy John. He went back to Keith Meister and Dr. Meister did the, the TJ surgery on Wednesday. So about five days ago in Dallas. And he'll be with the team the rest of the year in Detroit. Um, now that the Tigers are back home and um, we'll finish out the year, you know, with with the Tigers and Miguel Cabrera for the farewell tour um, as that concludes. But yeah, I mean, the expectation is this guy's going to be ready to go by 2024 opening day um, in terms of when he's going to play the outfield. Not entirely sure. But the fact that it was his non-throwing elbow um, is a really big deal. So it sucks for him. A lot of injuries. But at the same time, it's good that, you know, it's non-throwing elbow. And it sounds like he's going to be able to be back by 2024 opening day. So he's not going to miss a significant amount of time when it comes to games played it is going to be a long off-season of rehab. It's going to be a very long off-season of rehab. But he's going to be back, and I think that's what matters most. Yeah, hopefully his, his legs heal up. need to start trying to figure out how to keep him healthy. Um, let's be really blunt about it. Uh, right now, Riley Green is a straw that stirs the drink, baby. So until somebody is better than Riley Green and... It's not impossible that, you know, other players bring similar caliber productivity that Riley can, but until someone does, he's the man and we need to keep him on the field. And that's been a real problem. So yeah, it was, it was right foot fracture in April, 2022, left fibula stress reaction in May, 2023. And then obviously now the right elbow sprain in September, 2023. So that's three injuries in the past two seasons. Um, he had two surgeries, I mean, obviously the foot and then, and then the elbow. Um, both of those required surgeries. So he needs to stay on the field. I mean, again, this is a guy who, for most part of the season, was hitting 300 in the best league in the world. And the power was starting to come on. We saw the pull side impact that he was able to have when he started to get to the, the, the pitches out front and, you know, was driving them out to right field. Those were, those were huge. And, you know, yeah, does he start the drink? I think so. I think he's at the centerpiece of, of, he's at the center of everything the Tigers are doing with this rebuild. You know, say what you want about yep. Torkelson, say what you want about Carpenter. Um, you know, AJ Hinch, from a managerial standpoint, sure, he stirs the drink of the entire room, but from a pure production standpoint on the field, that's Riley Green, baby, all day long. Yes. And they need him. All day. It, you know, no doubt about it. I uh, think it'll help. We'll be in left field. Um, excited about that. And, you know, I think that'll take some stress off of his feet a little bit. Definitely a lot less running. It'll uh, make his arm play up. But, yeah, Riley just needs to stay healthy, period, end of story. And we don't need to belabor this much more than that. Just needs to stay healthy. Let's talk about something fun. Uh, How about Tarek MF shoving Scooble? Tarek Scooble doing a Sandy Koufax, Randy Johnson impression for the last six weeks. Basically unhittable. Just, he just toyed with Oakland. That was not premium Tarek Skubal stuff, but it was premium Tarek Skubal. I'm not allowing you to hit the ball stuff. Uh, just kind of ridiculous. Uh, I think he leads all major league pitchers in war, what, since July 1st. And just the total shutdown Cy Young caliber candidate, if he can stay healthy and keep throwing back to back to back to back to back starts where nobody's doing anything with him. It's, it's 
they just do nothing with him. It's it's pretty amazing to watch. Yeah, it's incredible. And I think the the best thing to know about Tarek Skubal, when you talk about, you know, Cy Young stuff, can he stay healthy, all those things. When he went and he had his initial surgery, right? Like it was exploratory in nature. They weren't sure if he was going to need, you know, Tommy John and flexor tendon, or if he was going to need Tommy John again, or if he was going to need, you know, just flexor tendon. Turns out Doc goes in there and it's just flexor tendon. They checked on the UCL as well, just because he wanted to know, hey, look, like it's, it's been some time since I've had, you know, Tommy Johnny had it back in college as a sophomore at Seattle University. And when they went in there and they did the surgery on the flexor tendon, they also checked on his UCL and the UCL was perfectly intact. It looked, it looked beautiful um, from everything that they had said. So when you talk about longevity, when you talk about what this guy can be for the Tigers, I think there's a lot of hope that this guy can be a horse for a really long time. When you consider the fact that now, you know, the, the, the flexor tendon's taken care of, the UCL is still in great shape. There are no signs of, of true wear and tear on that tendon, which is great. Um, so like, I, I like everything that I'm seeing out of him. And then the stuff obviously is just nasty. And he has learned how to sequence. He has learned how to throw strikes. He has learned when he doesn't need to throw strikes and when he needs to go outside of the zone for chase. The changeup has been absolutely wicked. Um, and, and the slider has been just as good. The fastball velo is up. There are so many things to like about what he's doing. And I also think it's important too, there were some innings earlier this year, he came back from the surgery, went through the rehab process, he, you know, made his rehab starts, came back to the Tigers, and there were some games where there were just, you know, one or two innings that just snowballed on him, and he, and he couldn't get control of it. He was just leaking over the plate nonstop, and guys were hitting him for damage. It was, it was hard hit balls all over the place, and it wasn't really a ton of walks. It was just, hey, he was just getting hit around because he was leaving stuff over the middle of the plate and getting the hard outs now, staying in the fight and being able to, to battle, and that's been huge for him. We've seen it all come together here in the last... I don't know, five, six, seven starts. Yeah, he he struggled sometimes with command, but not command throwing strikes, command leaving the ball in the middle of the damn plate. And uh, not a lot of that in the last month, that's for sure. Um, the other thing about Tarek that, you know, there's a few other things that you just got to love, which is he has such variety to each start. I mean, it's not just walking out there pumping 98, 99 and dominating you. He does that. But then there's other days like the other day in Oakland where he just danced around the edges, was more 94, 95, kept mixing the change up in and just toyed with them. And, you know, it's funny to watch the swings that he gets because it's coming out of the same tunnel. They can't really figure out where he's pitching them and how he's sequencing them. And uh, that was like, you know, a fast trip to the supermarket for him the other night against Oakland. It was almost unfair, which and, and you think about it, the start previous to that was just pure power, just absolutely overpowered him. And, you know, so the variety of, in which he dominates is a beautiful thing to watch and, I would say he'll be on a lot of Cy Young lists when the season starts, which really with pitchers doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot because usually the guys that <laughs> start the year rarely end up on the list at the end of the year. We just wish Riley a full season of good health next year. No doubt who the number one is going into the season. Hope his buddy Casey Mize is healthy to uh, to help him. We'll see who, you know, whether it's Erod, uh and they work out some type of contract agreement or somebody similar to that. But, you know, there'll be another quality starter at the 2-3. You know, whether they buy one or whether they re-sign one, I'll be shocked if they do nothing. But, yeah, Tarek Skubal, the man, and just, you know, very Justin Verlander-ish, uh, 2011-quality second half, to say the least. Yeah, I think the biggest thing to note with him, too, is you go back to the 2021 season. Mark, he gave up 35 home runs that year in, in 31 games, 29 starts back in 2021. And that's a product of being a thrower at that point. He was trying to beat guys with fastballs, and that was kind of his M.O. He's a pitcher now. I mean, this guy knows how to sequence. This guy knows how to mix and match. I mean, his, his stuff is so good. He trusts his catcher. He doesn't really shake Jake Rogers very much at all. Um 
And, and so I, I think that's kind of the biggest thing to note is like, you're looking at a guy who went from giving up 35 homers in 2021 to now who was just absolutely dominating guys. He's given up four homers, you know, so far this season and 14 starts. Like the stuff is so good. The command is good. The pitch IQ, like all that stuff is there. Like he knows how to, he knows how to pitch. He's not just a thrower. And I love the fact that with this fastball, he might be sitting 96, 95, kind of in that range. But when he needs to dial it up, he can. And, and that's rare. Not every pitcher can do that. He has that extra gear. And that's what reminds me of Justin Verlander. Yeah, he's been, uh, he's been a fun thing to watch for the last half of the year and excited to see what he's going to bring uh, next year. Hopefully stays healthy for the entire season. Um, want to, let's touch for a second on, on Casey Mize. Faced, he faced hitters again, did he not? Yeah, so Casey Casey faced hitters and then he threw a, a bullpen session again. So it was kind of one of those weird things where normally we see like bullpen session, bullpen session, bullpen session, live BP, live BP, live BP, rehab assignment. In this case, you know, remember he had that setback um, where he, he was feeling some fatigue. He went bullpen, bullpen, maybe one more bullpen and then live BP and then back to another bullpen. So that's where he's at right now. He threw a bullpen in Oakland and... Now he's going to throw another live BP um, with the Tigers back at home. He's going to do that up here in the, in the Royal Series. And that will kind of mark that next step for him is, okay, can he get through another, another live BP? They're going to want to get him built up to about two to three innings. That's kind of the game plan. And that might even take him into the first couple of weeks of October. So after the regular season ends, there's still going to be some work that he's doing down in Lakeland because he doesn't live very far. He lives in the, in the area. So it's a quick drive over from his home. And he's going to keep working in Lakeland for the first couple of weeks. And then he's going to start his offseason program. But the Tigers would like to see him get built up to that two to three inning range where they can feel confident about sending him into his offseason program and really letting him ramp up from there as we get into 2024 spring training. So, that, so I think he's in a good place. I think they did a good job shutting him down when they did and giving him, you know, I think it was maybe even like just five, six days to really allow his body to recover and then restarting him with those bullpen sessions, with then, which then led into a live BP, then back to a bullpen session, and now it's going to be another live BP. That's a 35 to 50 pitch type of circumstance that they're trying to get to. I mean, he's been throwing 15 to 18 as an inning when he's facing live hitters, and I'm sure that, that you know they'd like to get him between 40 and 50 if you know, in a perfect situation before he breaks, you know, just to go back into a normal off-season routine. Uh, I'll be excited to see if he can get there. Um, big, big part of next year. Uh, and I'm like, you know, there's a lot of kids that are going to be down in Lakeland, so they won't be lacking for people for him to face. So... Big part of the 2024 Tigers, Casey Mize, in many ways, including in the locker room and, uh, you know, discussing tactics and analytics with pitchers. Uh, I'm sure he's done some of that this year, but it's a whole different thing when you're going out there every five days or when you're just sitting in the room rehabbing. So excited to see what he can do. All right, we're going to take our last break, and then we're going to come back and talk about the greatest hitter uh, in the modern era of Tiger uh, baseball players playing this last week. We'll be back in a minute. Okay, we've been uh, building to this for an entire baseball season, but we have a uh, one week left of Miguel Cabrera. And we're going to spend some time talking about Miguel Cabrera because I've been watching Tiger baseball and understanding what's going on for 60 years. I love Dale Kaline. I saw a huge part of his career. I've seen some great Tiger baseball players, but there's never been anyone that hit the baseball like Miguel Cabrera. Um, and that's, you know, not not diminishing in any way, shape, or form what the great number six did. But Miguel Cabrera, greatest hitter I've ever seen. Most consistent, most difficult to pitch to, most relentless, most powerful, most everything. So it's his last week. 
Um, he fouled the ball off his shin in Oakland, and wow, that that was a little scary. If you've ever been in the cage or ever taken swings and fouled one off your foot or leg, um, <laughs> it is not fun. Well, Mark, it, it was more of just, look, it's a Thursday game in Oakland, and this guy fouls the ball off his leg, and it's, you know, you, the Tigers basically say, hey, look, like he was removed from the game because, you know, fouled the ball off his leg. Like, we don't think there's any fracture, like no signs of that right now. He's going to get evaluated after the game. And, like, I was just like, oh, no, like, please don't let this just be the end. Because, again, like, uh, again, like I, I wasn't concerned to the point where I was, like, pre-reading a Miguel Cabrera career over story. I wasn't, like, getting that prepped or anything, but in the back of your head, it's like, oh man, like, you know, I've seen guys follow the ball off their, their legs before or off their feet. I mean, look at Riley Green back in, in spring training when he followed the ball off his foot and then ended up, you know, he didn't even make his debut until what was it? June, July of, of that year. So he was out for quite some time. And, and so anyway, when this happens and, and anytime a player gets removed, you kind of get a little bit worried. You kind of want to wait and see what, what kind of is next, but he was obviously okay. He played the next day. He was all good. But for a moment there, I was a little concerned. I was a little worried for him. Yeah, well, let me remind you of something. And you were probably a sophomore uh, in college when this happened. But uh, he once fouled the ball off his ankle, uh, cracked it, kept playing. So, uh, Miguel is a special... He wants to play. He's a special kind of stubborn when it comes to these things. And... uh, you know, I, it would have taken a lot for him to miss this last week. Um, but let's let's get to the fun part of Miggy. I mean, let's talk about what kind of year it's been. And you have to admit, especially since the 29th of May, Miguel Cabrera is, you know, damn close to 300. Um, still getting big hits. Still probably their best hitter with runner's on at 40 years old. And let's not candy coat this in any way, a a literal shell of his former self, but the brain still works great. And, you know, he's still so calm and executes so well in clutch situations. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'm not going to remember Miggy for what he did this year. We're going to remember Miggy for winning the Triple Crown, for hitting 44 dongs, for just hitting 300 year after year after year after year of being incomparable, of having the 16th most hits in Major League history, of hitting 511 home runs. I mean, it's it's a career you're probably never going to see again. And you can argue with Albert Pujols, the greatest right-hand hitters of of the modern era, for sure the last 40 years or since, you know, since Willie Mays and Hank Aaron retired. So um, tell me some of your memories of Miguel. I want to get into some fun stuff. I mean, everybody knows what Miguel has done, but you're 25 years old. You were 23 years old when you started your career as a beat writer. Tell me how scary it was the first time you walked into the locker room and you had to introduce yourself to Miguel Cabrera and maybe ask him some baseball questions. And tell me tell me a little bit about, about what that was like for you. Well, a few numbers to correct really quick. Miguel Cabrera has 510 home runs, but I like the fact that you said 511 because I think he's got one more in him Me in too. these next six games. I, I think he's got one more in him. The other thing is I started on the beat when I was 21. I was still in college and I was just finishing up school. Um, I was actually doing my last semester online while I was covering the Tigers in the 2020 season. I'm 24 now. I'm going to be 25 coming up here in a few weeks. And it's it's interesting because I never really got that like, first time you met him moment because I met him on Zoom because of the fact that everything was was on Zoom. I mean, it was COVID at that point, right? So 2020, I'm on the beat and it's the shortened season. And so you you meet him that way, you know, through the screen, but it's not the same. I mean, they, they had a Zoom room and he didn't know who I was, right? And, and he knew some of the other beat writers for sure, but it was like, I was just the new guy and he had no idea who I was. And, you know, you, you try to ask questions, but there really is no relationship there in terms of, you know... He hadn't seen me in person before. He doesn't know like what I look like when I'm standing in the clubhouse. And 
it was weird because of how long that went on for, right? Because of how long COVID was. I mean, clubhouses didn't open back up until 2020. Even in 2020, you had to wear the mask. Now you don't anymore. And, and it's kind of back to, to 100% you know, normal and, and what it used to be. But I always like looked back on that as being like the weirdest part of being on the beat for me was being like doing everything over Zoom. Like it felt super transactional. And I think like that was kind of hard to come out of. And I've gotten better at that since, but it just felt super like, so, you know, okay, type in the chat that you have a question, then you ask one question, they answer it, then it's okay, who's next on the list that, you know, has put in the chat that they have a question. And so it really wasn't like, there, there was no opportunity to really like, you know, just shoot the shit with Miguel Cabrera, right? And and so now since being back in the clubhouse, I mean, I got a lot of really good memories, um, some of which like I can't share. Um, hopefully that's understandable. But I, I do think it's, yeah, I mean, there, there are some, there are quite a few stories that, that I have that I'll never forget that I just can't share. Um, at least not now, maybe much, much later in my life. Like call me when I'm 80 and I'll, I'll probably tell you the stories. Um, but no, some really good ones, but I do think it's just like seeing him day to day. Like, I think that's the cool thing. Like it's, it's whether he calls me Flaco, which means skinny in Spanish. I mean, it's, it's jokes like that, that he kind of pulls and, um, sometimes if I'm interviewing a player that's next to his locker, you know, he might like just tug on my pant leg a little bit as a joke. Right. And I'll turn around, he'll kind of smile at me or whatever. And it's just, it's like stupid stuff like that, but it, it's cool because that's like one of the greatest baseball players of all time. And he's just being funny and, and having a good time. It's also watching him interact with his teammates. It's watching him get excited when, you know, he, he's going and getting food in the clubhouse and there's his favorite kind of food is in there and, and he gets really excited about it. And he tells everybody, Oh, like they got my favorite food. Like it, it's just small things like that, that like you just step back and you say, yeah, like this is a normal person, but at the same time, like this is, this is not a normal person. This is, one of the greatest baseball players of all time. And I'm in his presence right now. So it, it's those kind of things that like, I will, I will never forget. It's a lot of the small things. It's looking at him when he smiles. Like it's weird when I say it because it, it seems like a love story, but at the same time, you know, when you're looking at one of the greatest baseball players of all time, a guy that I grew up watching. I mean, that, that is, I remember my dad telling me, Evan, you have to watch this guy. You have to watch this guy. Like you, you, you watch as many at bats as you can for the rest of the time that, that he is playing in the big leagues, because you're not going to see anything like this again. And I took that to heart when I was young. And, and so I, I watched a lot of Miguel Cabrera. I mean, I, there are so many memories and moments that I have of, you know, the three homer game in Texas stands out. Like my parents were gone. I don't know what they were doing, but they were out and about one night and it was a night game. The Tigers were playing in Texas and I watched him go deep three times. And I was just like, I was by myself jumping up and down in the living room when he hit his third home run. And it was just like, that's a core memory for me. So I don't know. I think it's just a blend of so many things. And like I said, there are a lot of stories that I have that I just can't share. But I do think it is just like the day-to-day -day interaction when you're able to really step back and say, I'm in the same room with this guy almost every day of the year. I mean, if you really think about it, right outside of the offseason, when we go from February to the beginning of October, we're, I, I go to work and I see him every day. Like that's pretty cool um, when you really reflect back on on who this guy is, what his career has been about. And I am happy, Mark, too, that he had these moments like, you know, 500 home runs and 3,000 hits later on in his career. Because you're right, people are going to remember the Triple Crown. They're going to remember the, the seasons where he was, you know, chasing MVP titles and defending MVP titles. And, you know, those intense battles that he had, whether it was, you know, Josh Hamilton or Chris Davis. I mean, just, just these guys just going back and forth. Mike Trout is in that same category, of course, when Mike Trout was, you know, just getting his start in the league and was just, just on a tear. Uh, it, it's just, those are memories that everyone is going to look back on and that, that's what they're going to think about. But it's cool that they're also going to think about, you know, they, they know where they were when he got to 500 home runs. They know where they were when he got to 3000. And that's a piece of their life that is later on. That's, you know, that's 2021, 2022, as opposed to, you know, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, you know, 2014, Miguel Cabret, that's, it's almost 10 years later, right? And so for people to be able to have not only that time period, but also then later on in his career, they can have some things to draw on. I hope it's the exact same way with his last week. Well, I, I'm just happy that during the course of this season that he's got to participate as a contributing baseball player, that he wasn't kind of a sideshow hitting 198 or something like that, that he's been really, for, you know, what he's capable of doing, really productive this year. And you still got to see flashes of what he was about. And uh, it's, been a, it's been a hell of a journey watching him do things that 
you know, it'll be very difficult to see somebody do anything remotely close to what he's done. Um, I think people forget not only how great he was, but how hurt he was at the end of some of those seasons that he just continued to produce on one leg or, you know, it, he, he had some injuries while he was being so productive. Uh, you know, the three homer game in Texas is, is something that you just, your, your mouth just was agape at what was going on. It was just eviscerating baseballs. I, I think obviously the, the other memorable thing people like to refer to is, you know, the, uh, Mariano Rivera home run after he had fouled the ball off his foot and <laughs> he did it two days in, in a row off of Rivera, it, it, you know, who is arguably the greatest relief pitcher, one of the greatest pitchers in the history of baseball. Even Mariano was pretty amazed at, uh, it's still a great clip. If you want to look at it on YouTube, you know, listen, in, in the pantheon of baseball history, I think the records speak for themselves. Homers, doubles, RBIs, hits, just to have lasted this long. And, you know, the game's changed a little bit since he's come into it. You know, I, I saw a number the other day that, um, how about in 2006, there were 215 pitches for the entire season that were over 100 miles an hour. In 2020. Two, there were 2,000 pitches that were over 100 miles an hour. And I saw in that. 2000, and in 2023, there were 4,000 pitches for the season over 100 miles an hour. So when you start understanding the evolution of what's happened to the game and how much more difficult it is to hit, uh, you know, his greatness can, I don't think people put it into enough perspective. It, it's just ridiculously difficult to hit the baseball now. Um, and, you know, he's one of the greatest to have ever done it. And it's, uh, I'm really sad to see him go, but I, I, I do wonder a little bit about what's going to happen to him once he retires and stops doing this. It's, his life, um, you know, there's other things that have gone on with Miguel that are, you know, we, we don't like to talk about too much, but when he has all day, every day um, that doesn't involve baseball, you know, hopefully he transitions well into retirement. And like I said, greatest hitter I've ever seen, and I've been watching this for 60 years. So uh, I'd like to thank him personally for all the great memories and, Excited to see what goes on this week. Hope he has another bomb in him. I'm sure he'll get a couple of pitches grooved. So hopefully he, uh, he hits a tank just for the fun of it. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. I, I think it's going to be an awesome week. And yeah, I mean, man, I, I go back to those 44 home run seasons that he had in, in 2012 and 2013. I just go on YouTube and I just click play and just sit there and watch him sometimes. Yeah. It's, it's spectacular. So we're coming to the end of the season. It's uh, it's a long, I don't think people can really appreciate how hard of a job. People think that Evan Petzold uh, has this great job and he gets to go watch baseball games every day. And <laughs> as somebody that talks to you a lot, knows where you are and kind of has an idea of what you're doing, I don't think people can appreciate how hard, how long how grueling your job is. I mean, you are flying on airplanes all the time. You are getting into the clubhouse. You know, if it's, if it's a seven o'clock game, you're, you're, you know, you're there pretty early in the day. It's where you get a chance to have access to talk to people. Um, and you have to craft multiple stories and write, stories every single day. So when you get to the last week of the season, tell me how you're feeling knowing that next Monday you get to sleep in and you have nowhere to go for the whole first two weeks. Tell me what, what you're thinking about doing and 
what what's on your mind for the last week of the baseball season after you've been doing this since the second week of February? For sure. I'm feeling actually really good right now. And I'm kind of, ha- I'm actually very happy with that. Um, the last couple of years have been really difficult for me, you know, towards the end of the season. And it has truly felt like this extreme grind um, just to get to the finish line where I felt like I had nothing left in the tank. And you know, we've talked about like the mental health stuff and, and, and all that before, but that's been a huge part of my year has been really focusing on my mental health, working with a therapist, like having time. And some of that's personal, some of that's work-related stuff, but like really trying to stay like as locked in as possible, but also like knowing when to turn it off. And I think I've done a really good job of that this year. And that's something that I'm very proud of. Um, So as I'm coming down the stretch with, you know, a week left in the season, like I I still feel good. Like I still feel okay. Like I don't feel like I am, um, you know, just, basically trying to crawl my way to the end, which is a great feeling because I feel like I can go into the off season and I have a really good plan for the first two weeks, just in terms of what I want to do. And a lot of that is, is written stuff, right? Like I'm going to still be working. Like there's still going to be the grind doesn't ever stop as you know. So, um, I'm proud of where I'm at now because that doesn't seem daunting to me. That's exciting to me. And I was in Oakland and I had to have a lot of great talks with guys in the clubhouse and was able to prepare some, you know, end of season stories, things that you guys are going to get to, you know, read about, you know, here as we get into October, because that October month, like as, as quickly as it goes by, it's also a long month and I got to keep producing content. And, um, you know, I won't go out to the fall league until November and GM meetings aren't until November. So there is going to be a lot of that where I'm going to be putting together these, you know, profile and feature stories on different types of guys. Um, I've had a lot of great phone conversations, um, with people, also some really good talks in the clubhouse. And like, those are things that I am so pumped about doing right now. Um, which was not the case last year. It felt like a chore last year. And and now I'm excited about it. So I think I've done a good job of handling the whole mental health piece and, and, and getting through the season um, in a way that, you know, takes care of me first and foremost. And, and then also obviously takes care of readers and, you know, gives them insight into what they want to know. But outside of work, because I know that's what you want to hear about, I am looking forward to going out and golfing in the mornings, watching football in the afternoons, um, writing in the evenings. Maybe it's, you know, writing in the morning, then, you know, golfing in the afternoon, then football in the evenings. Um, I love watching football. Um, I'm a huge fantasy football guy and love the NFL. I also really like college football too. Um, so I'm a big, I'm a big Michigan fan because my, you know, now wife Savannah, uh, got her master's degree from U of M. So I kind of have been born into that a little bit. I have a, a reason to celebrate. We got tickets to Michigan, Ohio State. That's later on in November, obviously. So we're pumped about that. I'm going to go up north and just kind of get away. Like I got internet up there so I can, you know, go up there and get some work done. But at the same time, it is a good place to go up to. And um, my grandparents got a place up in Houghton Lake. So Span and I will go up there for for a long weekend and just kind of just kind of be and like enjoy the peace of all that. Um, but the work doesn't stop. And, and I feel really good about where I'm at right now going into it. But it's going to be a lot of golf, a lot of football, um, some reading. I, I, I've gotten behind on some books that I've been working on um, getting through. So And some honeymoon. Yeah, a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in May, hopefully. We uh, we hope to go to Greece in May, but we'll, we'll see how that all plays out. We also are trying to buy a house at some point too. So all that has to align in time. But it's going to be good getting to the off season, not having to go to the ballpark every day, getting to be home. Um, but I'm really pumped up about the stories that I have coming out, you know, as we get to kick off the off season, I think people are going to be really interested to hear about it. I mean, again, I kind of teased it with the long sit down that I had with Scooble in the, in the dugout on Sunday, we talked for a while about kind of where he's at, where he's come from, the Tommy John that he went through, um, the flexor tendon and, and just, you know, gave me a ton of great insights into his process, where he's at now and where he's going. Reese Olson, we dug into, you know, every pitch that he throws, how he learned it, you know, how it's evolved over time and kind of where it's at now. How does he grip the pitch, right? How does he use the pitch, right? Like, and how has that evolved too? the usage of each of these pitches that he has? Because as we know, his stuff is super nasty. So it's a lot of that kind of stuff that I'm going to be really digging deep into. Um, Tyler Holton and I had a, had a really good conversation. Like, I don't think enough has been written about Tyler Holton the season that he's had. So those are all stories that are going to be rolling out in October and, and I can't wait to deliver them. And I feel really good about where I'm at, um, you know, from a mindset standpoint. Well, I'm, uh, I'm glad to see the season come to a close. I'm glad to see you survived it, actually thrived in it. And just to give it people an idea of how busy Evan Petzold is, Evan Petzold and I like to go out to lunch from time to time. And during the season, we almost never go out to lunch. So uh, the off season will probably bring a lunch or two 
uh, for Mark Gorash and Evan Petzold. We have a few places we like going or we explore some new ones. So I'll be excited to do that a few times. Um, all right. Been an eventful week. Got a huge eventful week coming up. We got a news conference tomorrow with Jeff Greenberg. We got the last week of Miguel Cabrera. We have the season drawing to a close. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, I want to remind everybody to please rate, comment, and subscribe where you can find us wherever podcasts are available. You know, obviously Spotify, Apple, The Freep, always embedded into an Evan Petzold article. I want to thank our executive producers, Kirkland Crawford and Anjanette Delgado. I want to thank the lifesaver who is Robin Chan, who always makes us sound good. As always, I want to thank my grandson, Braden Michael Gorash, who was in Colorado this weekend doing Colorado things. And for the last week of the regular season, I want to remind everybody and hope that you go with peace. Peace.